0: Welcome to the Fundraising Leadership Podcast, where we engage in lively and thoughtful conversations with professionals in the nonprofit world. And I am here today with all of my partners. It's such a treat. We have a really fun podcast lined up for today. So first, I would like to introduce my friends and teammates, Janice Cunning and Michelle Molloy dillon who are here with me. And... Today, our guest is our fourth teammate, David Landjuli, and we have David here to talk about his new book that he has just published, and it is a super unusual book, and I'd love David for you, maybe if you're willing to tell us why, why this one? What, what got you started here? Mm. Woohoo, David, yeah. woohoo!
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, You guys are hard, man. You guys ask hard questions (laughs) on this podcast. I I don't now. I know why guests are are hesitant to come on the podcast.
0: (laughs) Are you are you sweating yet, David? Are you
1: sweating? It is more nerve wracking to
2: be the guest than to be the host. You know, like we we, like we've all been guests, and it's like there's always something like, ooh, I'm I'm like the featured person. So
1: (laughs) yeah. So um, the inspiration for the most recent. Collection of essays, which oh, sorry, and I didn't t- say
0: the title. I'm oh, blowing okay. it too. Wow, sorry. it is called. You're so nervous, like we I never know. do this with
1: each other. So go ahead, Margaret. Tell <laughs> everyone like, the title of my book. Club moment,
0: okay. Um, <laughs> <Curfuffle>, okay. <laughs> exactly. the The book is titled "Wisdom from the Middle Ages for Living and Leading in Modern Times." Yes. Right. All right. So, why why the Middle Ages, David?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Like, who would think that there's anything uh, to learn from the medieval period, also known as the Dark Ages, right? And um, uh, and I write into in the introduction to the book that you know a lot of folks sort of the the, the middle. The Middle Ages or the Medieval period is is kind of the several hundred years between the Classical period and Renaissance. And so, is there really anything? You <laughs> know, um, well, it turns out yes, the the uh, printing press was invented during that time, and um, one of the books that was printed and received very wide circulation. Is a little devotional uh, called The Imitation of Christ uh, by a medieval written—it's a collection of essays, and you guys know I like to write essays. And so this medieval monk wrote a collection of essays um, that were published, and it turns out that This Imitation of Christ is the second most widely read book in Christendom, or anybody who is Christian reads this book— so I had never read it, and uh, I was like, "Whoa! I am woefully uh, judging myself harshly," which we're going to get to. Uh, like, how could you never have read this? You're a son <laughs> of a philosopher, and you know you're a Christian, and you know you're you're woefully undereducated. So actually, I heard about this book from Eckhart Tolle, who we all like. Uh, for those of you in the audience who are not familiar with his work, he had a best-selling book called the power of now, this is very influential on me. He's one of my teachers. And um, I was listening to a talk of his and he was, as he does, he just talks and no preparation, no notes, just like us right now. Uh, And he said this this little um, devotional is uh, one of his go-to resources for um, inspiration. I was like, oh wow. Okay. Let me go take a look at this thing. Uh so I found a um, a version that was sort of uh written in sort of Victorian English. Um uh, I started reading it and uh it was one of the sort of earlier translations into English. I was like, whoa, there's some there's some good stuff in here. So as I did with my uh, book on Stoicism, I said, "Let me see if there's anything I can add to this," and that's the genesis of the book. I started reading his essays. I was like, "Yeah, I think I might have something to say." And kind of part of the work was to bring that English up to modern speak. So I actually had to translate, literally translate each essay into modern English, which was a task unto itself, and then share my interpretation or my yeah view on that topic
2: yeah yeah i it's so interesting so on the team you know michelle and i not so into writing (laughs) you know not (laughs) our favorite way to reflect uh margaret and david very into writing you know and using writing as self-reflection so I am curious, David. Like just you know, this book and 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 really all of your writings, because you're also, as people who listen, hopefully know, like very active on LinkedIn and do beautiful writing there. So, what do you think it gives you
1: in terms of personal growth to be a writer? Well, uh, several several things. It's it slows me down. It's a reflective. I find it a um, well. The audience should know about you, Janice, that you're a a um, quite an avar- avaricious or avarice reader. Am I using the right word there, Margaret? You, you read a lot. <laughs> voracious, it? voracious, I think, is the voracious. word you're looking That's for, it. Yeah. Yes, yes, that was the word. Yeah, a voracious reader. And also, Michelle does a lot of reading in the um, uh, personal development realm. So you guys are definitely readers. I I am either a very good reader because I have a language processing disorder. And so I listen to a lot of books. So all the more challenging when I'm translating pre-Victorian English. Um, That's why I like essays, I think, because they're relatively short and I can get through them. Um, And so the writing part is like a way um that i can reflect upon topics that i'm grappling with or that i'm interested in yeah i i would say that what got me into writing so i <laughs> i am um, i consider margaret a writer she has a background in journalism i am more of a math and science guy and have fallen into writing maybe like i fell at the fundraising um, uh, the way I fell into writing was um, uh, by reading Julia Cameron's book, uh, The Artist's Way. And she has a practice in that book called The Morning Pages. So I started those morning pages, well, plus years ago, uh, when I was leading a team at Princeton, I just started journaling in the morning.
2: And that's what it's three pages of stream of consciousness. Is that? Yeah, that's
1: what she. That's what she recommends. Three pages in longhand of stream of consciousness writing. Yeah, and that um, sparked something. You know, stuff started coming out. <laughs> I only do one page in the morning. Um, that's my practice, um, and. That's what got me started writing. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I really like about this book, David, and you referred to me as being a reader. I am a reader. I have traditionally been a reader. But I have to say I've really noticed in the last couple of years it's harder for me to read long books. And so I read your book in, you know, one essay per day at a time and it was almost like it created a focus of the day for me to think Mm -hmm. about um because you you know you uh have what thomas kempis wrote and then you have your translation in your own words of what you think he was saying and it was such it's it was almost like reading a conversation between sages through the ages which i loved about (laughs) it and it just got my my um Thinking, you know, inspired for the day, about it was almost like an intention for the day.
1: Thank you. That's the, that's beautiful feedback. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. What's and a I new hashtag, hashtag Sages
0: Through the Ages, there.
3: The ages <laughs> the ages.
0: I know. It's like time travel. Yeah, it it is in many ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that style, at least up until now, um, the essay seems to be the um, sort of uh, style uh, or writing piece, length, that I am attracted to, partly because of my uh my language processing disorder doesn't, you know, long things of reading or long bits of writing are very difficult for me. Um Margaret's writing a whole longer piece, which we're looking forward to having her on the podcast uh, when she finishes her book. Uh, a different style of writing. My, my things are kind of pithy, punchy, and can be uh, digested in like a single sitting, like a, like a snack.
3: Yeah, like a snack. <laughs> or breakfast. And the snack that you're going to share with our listeners in our blog post is... Uh, the essay on the dangers of familiarity and rash judgment. So why did you choose that one for our particular nonprofit listeners?
1: Well, I chose that essay because it aligns with some of our work um, around positive intelligence. And for those uh, in the audience who are familiar with our work and Shirzad's work, you're going to find a lot of that creeping in to those essays, and so I was um, before we got on the podcast. I, I was reflecting that, wow, yeah, a lot of that stuff we work with clients on was around in the Middle Ages. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this stuff is not new. <laughs> we'll it's him. not new, yes.
1: but it's just packaged Thomas. in a very yeah, <laughs> Coach Thomas. Yeah, I'll take a campus, but. Um, his essay, you know, there's like two pieces to that is is around, you know, choosing uh, friends and acquaintances wisely. Like in the positive intelligence framework, we would say when you're assessing whether or not to develop a friendship or have a client or work with a donor, there's what he calls blameless discernment right, as opposed to judging people. Um, and I know in my life, I've made several errors uh, when it came to um, assessing uh, people's character um, and got into some, some relationships where that were not uh, wholesome would be a good way of describing them. Yeah, so that's like the first part of it. And then um, the second part, he talks about this kind of avoiding rash judgment, like how we um, judge others harshly, how we judge ourselves uh, harshly. I know for me, that's something I've been working on for a long time, my my inner critic, uh, and how we reject or judge uh, circumstances that happen in our lives. We... we we want to push them away, we don't want to remember them, we don't want them to happen. They wish they we wish they didn't happen. It was bad. So he was already getting at this stuff, you know, a long time ago.
0: Yeah, there's kind of a paradox and you touch on this, but this idea of like both choosing carefully, which seems to involve making some sort of judgment about other people and yeah. then not judging or ho- like I right. I what, what what are your thoughts about the how to reconcile two things that don't seem at first like they could both be true at the same time?
1: Well, you're I bring in also a lot of Buddhism into my interpretation of some of his essays, and in the in the Buddhist philosophy um, holds that there are many more paradoxes in life than we would think there are. Yeah. Um and so it's a seeming contradiction, right? That's what a paradox is. And so I do like the way Shirzad and in our positive intelligence program gets at it, like being discerning has more of a middle path. Of course the Greeks were also interested in in the middle way right so trying to thread the needle so to speak and yes you know relationships human relationships are messy (laughs) messy yeah and also i uh in the same training that we all got where we picked up that you know, our human mess. We started to to embrace our human mess as opposed to our humanness, or really our human mess. We were taught that we're human judging machines and we just are. And so the practice is not, is to start to uh, be aware when you're judging harshly or putting things in polarity, good, bad, right, wrong, um,
0: Yeah, I love what does that answer it? It does. And I love what you're saying because it reminds me and hopefully all of us that, you know, sometimes there can be nothing wrong with another person. You can just choose that that isn't a person that you want to, you know, spend a lot of time with or right. Not because there's something wrong with them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I when I was making notes, I wrote like to me, it's a yes and, you know, another big philosophy that we it's like both of these things, we can hold both of these things. And, you know, I was struck, David, by you brought in, you know, your your sensitivity and, you know, you and Margaret did a beautiful podcast recently about, you know, being a sensitive person. And I think that's another thing, like we see a lot in fundraising. There's a lot of empathy, you know, a lot of fundraisers, very empathetic. And that can, and I, you know, I've found myself in that space where sometimes you look back and you think like, yeah, I sh- share too much with that person right like I think part of discernment is and you know this there's a lot of research on this in terms of creating trust too is like it, it has to it has to emerge from something you know like you have to get there and so I think it's like it's important to remember that we can have both of those things and that we have to know also, like some of us, I think, default to sharing too much. And then some people hold back too much. And it's more like, where are you in the continuum and what is your work?
3: Yeah. And the magic happens, I think, in the awareness of that. And that's where the self-development, personal growth aspect comes in this, is that being aware of ourselves in terms of the assumptions that we might be making about someone or a situation, um, the areas that we're going into sort of protection mode, whereas, you know, we may need to open up or where we're too open and we may, may need to close down a little bit. That's the, that's the magic area, because if we can know ourselves better and our impact on ourselves and the world around us, then there's more of a conscious behavior. There's more of a conscious impact.
1: Um, I want to add something here that's, I think, near and dear to all of our hearts in that we are certified professional coaches. And in the training that we received, I really don't know too much about the other methodologies. I just know we got the gold standard of training and coach certification very early on we were trained to uh, uh, self manage or suspend judgment, especially when clients come to us with um, difficult uh, problems, get difficult situations, you know, life situations. It can be very easy to judge uh, them and uh right wrong you should do this anytime you know we don't do that as as coaches like you will never come to one of us and be judged in fact when i talk to clients about coaching you know we design this is a judgment-free environment you can bring anything i'm not going to judge you i'm not here to judge you to make you wrong just say you're right uh and uh the feedback that I've received from clients over the years is that creates really a sacred space. Oh. Yeah. 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 Oh. So David. Yeah. Let's make this a
3: judgment free
2: world. Wouldn't that be a different
1: world? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> turn off was... turn off cable news.
2: <laughs> well, I was the, you know, when you were talking about Shurzatch, Shurzat should be another oh, sage through the age, you know, uh, yeah. Michelle's new hashtag. And um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's um, that, it, that. That's really yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful. I sometimes say to clients like also, you know, other, even other people in your life who care about you, they have a vested interest in your decisions. Your coach is a safe space to talk about potentially doing anything. And I always say like, I want you to live your values and be fulfilled, but how you do that doesn't matter to me, right? So even the people who love us. It's not even necessarily judgment. It's sort of attachment sometimes, mm-hmm. right? To the, the decision. Yeah, absolutely. It can be a very fun and creative space to, uh, <laughs> to play.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I will say for myself, this has been, it's an ongoing practice. I catch myself judging and assessing all the time because we're human judging machines. That's what we do. And um but I notice it uh much more quickly and I I get off it. You know, it's like <laughs> like, like get off it, man. Like yeah. you know, that's not helping the situation. Yeah. Now, now that's like an advanced practice when you can get to that point. But it's so interesting. I find it so interesting, you know, that he was uh grappling with that uh as a human being in the middle ages and realized it wasn't that all that um, skillful to be judging people.
2: I think it might be helpful maybe um, to define, but also maybe to give an example, David, of, of like in your own life, like maybe you can bring an example. Like I think sometimes it's hard to know, are we judging or discerning? I think people grapple. What does that mean? We know that in our, you know, in our PQ work that often that moment they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> what is it to discern versus judge?
0: Or to yeah. divine, divine discernment, which is.
1: Divine discernment right. is what he, was what, what he calls, calls it.
0: it. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Let's see an example. Yeah. Um, It, it's like the such, suchness of things. This is the way Eckhart Tolle talks about this. Like it's just what happened. Just what happened. Like a lot I see uh, in myself um, and and in clients uh, through my work that that we're very quick to judge circumstances. And this is maybe we're going to give them something to try around this uh, at the end of the podcast. But um, And so the invitation, I'm trying to think of something recently. Uh, I, I'll give you one this this morning.
0: <laughs> That's recent. That counts. <laughs> you
1: know, I'm filling up uh, uh, a water bottle from the refrigerator uh, spout that comes out the door. And the water goes like, sp- Lying all over the refrigerator, all over the floor. And I'm just like, eh. you know, like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Like, I didn't say that out loud. But then I was like, okay, just get the towel and clean up the mess. Like, that's it. There's yeah. water. You know? And so, it's not like I'm a saint and never get triggered by stuff or by people. Or uh, It's just that I was like in the middle of it. I was like, okay, it's just some water. Get a towel. Like The suchness of it is there's a mess on the refrigerator and on the floor. You made a mistake. You didn't put the water bottle in the right spot. Go get the towel and clean it up. That's, that's the blameless discernment of what happened. Yeah.
3: And it's a totally different energy level than that judge coming in and judging yourself in that moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the judge makes it like a good thing happened or a bad thing happened. Whereas there's no in between. Right. (laughs) With discernment, like something happened, Uh a thing, a thing happened.
1: happened. Yeah. And you know, some folks in the audience might be like, judging me right now for judging myself this morning. Like, what are you, an idiot? Like, yeah, it's just water. Like, what's your problem, man? <laughs> you know? Chill, so chill you got to look out. at that. Yeah. You got to look Like, chill out, dude. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? you know? Yeah, you've
2: done all this coaching training and you're still judging yourself for smelling water. Come on. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, pra- and... Practicing uh, for I, when he
2: spills the red
0: wine.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> there was an Easter Sunday. Talk about... <laughs> Yeah, there was an Easter Sunday many years ago, uh, family Easter Sunday, and my sister had bought my mom a a new cloth, you know, tablecloth for the for the Easter Sunday dinner, and I knocked over a glass of wine, and man, I was on the receiving end of some harsh judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that sticks with me, Uh, like you know. So that's that's the other thing about judging others is when that comes out of your mouth like this is my sister you know (laughs) we love each other we've grown up together you know we have complicated relationship at times but um when you judge others harshly that has an impact that really has an impact and i remember that now this is what forgiveness. We could get into self-compassion practice and, and, and forgiveness. And I do a lot of this work with, uh, with clients because many uh, not just me uh, have a harsh inner critic voice where we can, we can be very hard on ourselves and others are um, harsh in their judgment of other people. And some just, are constantly like, I just walk around my condo building. Oh, can you believe that this happened and they did this? And I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> you know? So it just depends on your personality and, and we all do this in some form or another, but when you judge another person harshly and, and, um, it has an impact and we have a lot of leaders in the audience and, um, we do a lot of work on being awareness of impact. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's one of the questions, you know, you offer some questions for people to ponder in in what you wrote. And one of them was like, was my behavior skillful or unskillful? Right. So yeah, that story makes me think like as you're bringing in work, like, yeah, sometimes people make mistakes. Like, you know, it was like a mistake was made, you know, um, in your case, some red wine was spilled. And in some cases, it's like maybe. Maybe a budget line was put in incorrectly. Maybe a donor gift, you know, wasn't properly uh, put in the system. And maybe, you know, maybe a donor was sent an invitation to an event with the wrong name. And like mistakes are made, right? So maybe talk about that, right? Like how do we separate judging versus like exploring?
1: Yeah. Uh, So in out so mistakes are going to be made this is the first thing and so one of the saboteurs that we the one of the ways leaders sabotage themselves and um uh and others in the organization is uh by um aiming for p- perfection like we call it the stickler saboteur and uh, there's even an essay you know i think there's an essay uh by the good monk and me talking about this perfectionism um, in the book, but this is really not all that helpful because we are human beings. We make mistakes, and it's good. Like blameless discernment is, oh, you sent, you know, a, an invitation, uh, to a donor with another donor's name on it. Okay, so um you know we could have a like what happened how did how how did that happen oh well it turns out that we had filled in the the field in the database with the improper name okay so what are you going to do uh so that that doesn't happen again well i already went in there and you know changed the field so now the, the the uh the donor's name is correct oh great and um is there anything else that uh, this is like if you're having a conversation with an employee about this mistake? Is there anything else that you you and this would be in a coaching format, the way we train people to actually have a coach like approach? Right. So is there anything else that you might, you might think would be useful in in this particular circumstance? Well, yes. Oh, what would that be? I guess I have to call the donor. victim that's another saboteur by the way you know yeah okay yeah that might be that might be skillful what are you gonna say to the donor oh i don't know well what do you think would be helpful well i guess i'll apologize well yeah if you go into the tone like that that's not gonna go over very well so (laughs) To get my, my best eor, <laughs> But you can have a conversation with someone about the mistake. It's not like we, like, blame this servant. Something happened. A mistake was made. Clean up the mess. Restore integrity to the situation. Yeah. You know,
3: there doesn't have to be conflict here. We're just talking about it and figuring out how to restore it. Yeah.
2: Do well, I think yeah. that's. That's the important piece is, like, I think sometimes people maybe worry, like, well, if we can't judge things, then, like, things are going to go off the rails. Whereas discernment is, yes, we are allowed to name what happened. We are allowed to talk about the impact of what happened. We're allowed to figure out how to clean up the mess of what happened. But we're doing that from a very different energetic place
1: than judging. It's I mean, a recounting worked, of
0: what what happened with less shaming and blaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was where I was going to. I've worked in 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 organizations where there was a lot of shaming and blaming when you made an error, and I can share that that is not. Uh, with blameless discernment, that is not all that skillful. It people think like, oh, if I shame and blame you, then you won't do it. Somehow that will be the guardrail. This is, by the way, um, I believe, my opinion, um not a helpful way to grow your people. Like, but there is like some something in the culture and it it is pervasive in cable news like oh if we shame and blame people enough they'll stop that behavior And uh, in my experience that just doesn't work as a behavioral tool yeah yeah, yeah. and in fact it, it does more harm than it does good mm-hmm. but yeah. it's pervasive in our society yeah it is so
0: we've David you've given us a lot to think about but is there anything specific that you would like to leave the audience with or invite them to try
1: we do this like five period visualization you guys might remember that where you look you divide your life into um five periods so this is actually i'm going in a different direction here i might give the audience this uh this exercise, and you can reach out to one of us, uh, and we can lead you through it if you'd like. But you divide your your life, your age by five, and you look at the those periods, and you look at those periods, and you write down things that you thought were bad, you know, um, and then you go back and you and you look at those circumstances, and you see what did that lead to, what you thought was bad. You know, and how that turned out to be a gift. And if you do this, I think we can assure you that you will find gifts in things that you have been labeling as quote unquote bad in your life. So that's the inquiry. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Great practice to try, David. I've always gotten a lot of personal discoveries out of that exercise. Mm -hmm. Who's to know what's good or bad? Right.
1: Who's to know what's good or bad. Yeah. could say. Yeah. Well,
0: David, thank you so much for um, talking with us about your book. I enjoyed it. It has so much heart in it, so much of David's heart in it, which makes it spectacular, in my opinion. Uh, We will have a link for people to buy it if they would like to. It is called, again, Wisdom from the Middle Ages for Living and Leading in Modern Times. Yes.
3: This program is brought to you by Fundraising Leadership. We provide unique coaching and training programs to grow nonprofit leaders. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, you can help us continue to bring thoughtful content with a one-time contribution. This supports our production costs and keeps the show ad-free. Contribute today using the link in the show notes, and you'll receive one or more of our highly acclaimed online courses. Now go put it into practice.